Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. You go public and 30 million people hear what you gotta say. Nothing, I mean nothing, will ever be the same again. Now the work we did here is confidential, not for public scrutiny, any more than our one's family matters. We're very serious about protecting our interests. He's got something to say. He wants to say it. I want it on 60 Minutes. Maybe for the audience, it's just voyeurism, something to do on a Sunday night. And maybe it won't change a thing. People like myself and my family are left hung out to dry, used up, alone. What does this guy have to say? I don't be paranoid yet. That threatens these people. That isn't cigarettes are bad for you. Who is this? (gasps) They have no right to hide behind a corporate agreement. He can talk, we can air it. The worst kind of an organized smear campaign against a whistleblower. Shoplifting, failing to pay child support. They can paint everything with that brush. He's only the key witness in the biggest public health reform issue in U.S. history. You manipulated me into this. I fought for you and I still fight. The American public needs to know. Jeffrey! And you wish you hadn't come forward? Dr. Wagland's deposition will be part of this record. You wish you hadn't blown the whistle? Do I think it's worth it? I told the truth. It's valid and true and provable. These people, that's not the point whether you told the truth or not. I was thinking, I was thinking a little bit more about uh, American movie. And, um, you know, you and I are, are kind of like painfully unintrospective in a, in a way in that we don't even realize that like even this act of doing this podcast is, is, is somewhat similar to, uh, you know, Mark Borchardt's whole, whole thing. And then, and everybody oh, yeah. like, you know, I mean, like, like a lot of people looking at this, you know, I'm sure my roommate, at, you know, at some point probably like thinks, yeah, man, that's like just fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I often have those thoughts, but I, uh, <laughs> I try not to. I, I honestly feel like the one place that's probably not appropriate is when you're actually recording, because the only people that are hearing it <laughs> are the people that are like happy that it's there. 
<laughs> well, so, see, I sorry. think it's okay. I think it's okay to acknowledge that that they're you know that they're it's that, a very small select audience. Sure, actually sure. Gives a shit about this. Sure, okay. and I think it's I think I think at least it shows like you know just like House on Haunted Hill, we're you know we're having fun with ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm um, speaking of a me- of you know uh, of a man, the the man, the Michael man, uh, a director who is who has never had any fun. Uh, with himself, I'm sure. Uh, this guy is a controversial guy to me, um, Michael Mann, in what way? as a filmmaker, in that people seem to love or hate him, and the the lovers of him just will go to bat for for anything that he does, whether it's oh god, what was it called, Black Black Hat or oh, yeah. I like uh, that Miami movie. Vice. Oh god, you're one of them. I didn't- you're well, uh, hold on, hold on. I didn't care for. I'm going to go. Advice. I'm going to go Donald Sutherland on you here. And um, I didn't like Public Enemies. Uh, so yeah, the other some misses there. Collateral, some of it. Uh, yeah, okay, so maybe actually, as I go through, um, there's a lot of swings and misses here. I'm not the biggest Ali fan either. I only saw that once. Um, but I mean, yeah, the Heat and the Insider earns a lot of goodwill uh, with me and probably mm-hmm. a lot of people coming up in the the DVD age as well. Uh, you know, I, I believe Heat was Heat was in the first like batch of DVDs that I bought. It was like probably like that and like The Matrix. Uh, I think Go. I think was the other one. That's a strange one uh, that was That's featured funny, on this podcast. Because you didn't seem to yeah. like that as much as me. <laughs> I loved it as a teenager. I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, okay. I but I will concede your point that there are definitely Michael Mann apologists and then people who uh, are really irked by that <laughs> that segment of the population it's like it's I, like it's like they're the michael mann you know fanboys and then there's mm-hmm. like everyone else who who's just like who's like what who's like what you just said it's like oh heat the insider you know i i like uh i like ali uh i like last of the mohicans but yeah i don't like black cat i don't like public enemies i hated miami vice uh and i'm not i'm, I'm mixed on collateral just like you mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, the keep, the keep from 1983 is sort of like legendarily, uh, lost, uh, to, to the home video market. Like, like, you know, the, the copies that people have seen are not, you know, like very good or whatever, but, but I saw part of it and I, and it's, I, I just don't know. I don't know what people are trying to find in, in regards to, to going back to, uh, to some of his works and thinking that there's some sort of magical, uh, you know, pure Michael Mann uh, version of it that, you know, that is just, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, and yeah, and the insider is, is, is one of the films I really like of his, but overall it, it, it's hard for me. I, I, I kind of wince whenever, uh, whenever I hear there's another Michael Mann movie coming out. <laughs> This is a very particular pain uh, that you know, I doubt many many have. Uh, I mean, are there other filmmakers that you know cause this this sort of you know psychic assault for you when you just hear the the possibility of them working on something? Apparently, a few of them, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, but to a lesser degree. Uh, I think one of the things that that's weird about Michael Mann is that he was just like all in for digital photography. Uh, you know, much quicker than everyone else. And because of that, 
uh, you, you look back at the movies he did in like from the mid 2000s and on and, and collateral included, and they just look really bad. They, they, you know, and people will go on and on about how great they look and how wonderful and everything. They look, they look like crap. Uh, they, <laughs> and this is why, this is why the insider, you know, sticks out in a good way. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie in the same regards that those, it feels like it's 25% a Michael Mann movie and 75% contributions from a lot of other great people. And the rest of the movies that he does after this point, um, you know, there's definitely a descent, uh, you know, and I, and black cat was a definitely was a bad, was a really bad example of, or really good example of, of just how bad, you know, he, he's fallen, um, did you say you liked that one? I liked the like okay. I thought it was like it's the uh, you know it, it's what I would hope like a January like genre movie would aspire to be like it's something that it was entertaining. Uh, I don't now I only saw it the once. I haven't gone back to revisit it, but I was like I enjoyed myself at the movies then, and I, I you know I've talked about that. I look forward to those <laughs> the like in between state where it's like we've released uh, a bunch of the the oscar contenders and then there's the stuff that didn't make the cut and we're not really confident in it uh to be like a summer release uh and th- there's a lot of films that i i find myself really enjoying from that time period that's one of them i just saw i remember i i felt it was far too long uh you know and, and, and you know dragged in, in many places and had that you know horrible symptom of really obvious you know digital uh, photography that that looks like it's digital that that's constantly reminding you that it, it's it's digital. Um, and okay, so try. <laughs> I was going, gonna say people tuned into our yeah, I know, I know for the episode. <laughs> so the insider. I'm gonna assume we both like this film because it would be hard. To, I think it's a film that that it, it would be very hard to dislike. Yeah, uh, this one. You know, I, I loved it when it first came out and uh, watched it uh, numerous times, which that may be a little strange. I don't think the target audience was uh, was going to be like teenagers in particular for this. this, Un- this unlike film. the tobacco industry, you know. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's the Russell Crowe character here. Uh, and it was funny. You were mentioning that it feels like, what, <clears throat> did you say 20%? A Michael Mann movie, twenty-five percent, twenty-five, twenty-five. Uh, I would say that uh, it feels a lot like a Ridley Scott movie to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain <clears throat> intensity, uh, but like a professionalism to it, as far as we're you know, like every scene that you get here feels necessary. And there are, I guess, some you could say extraneous bits. Like there's a sequence in the hotel room, which. I don't even want to use that word because it's a sequence where like our principal character is contemplating suicide and like pretty much everything that he's lost in his life. But for the most part, it's very workmanlike, uh, like the, the characters, like they, it is, you know, we're, I'm going to reveal this information for, to you because I expect something to happen. And there's a lot of conversations about what that means, what that, that transactional nature of the relationship, like the expectations that these two men have of each other, uh, and it just, you know, it feels to me like something that if you told someone like, oh, here's a Ridley Scott movie, uh, they would go along with it uh, to a point. Which is funny because I, I think, what, a year later, uh, Russell Crowe gets his, uh, I guess, his uh, payback for, for missing out on the uh, Best Actor uh, trophy 
for this year for for an actual Ridley Scott production. So, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that I could see some people not not being into this this movie because it's <laughs> there's just quite a bit of failure, <laughs> and it's it's two hours and forty minutes long. Uh, and it's not often that you see both of our male leads here, especially mm-hmm. played by genuine movie stars, like fail so often throughout. And even when minor spoiler, there is like a slight taste of victory. It is after eating so much shit <laughs> for so long that it, you, you know it's not, it's not even worth it at that point. You pay me to go get guys like Wygan to draw him out, to get him to trust us, to get him to go on television. I do. I deliver him. He sits, he talks. He violates his own fucking confidentiality agreement. And he's only the key witness in the biggest public health reform issue, maybe the biggest, most expensive corporate malfeasance case in U.S. history. And Jeffrey Wigand, who's out on the limb, does he go on television and tell the truth? Yes. Is it newsworthy? Yes. Are we going to air it? Of course not. Why? Because he's not telling the truth. No, because he is telling the truth. That's why we're not going to air it. And the more truth he tells, the worse it gets. You are a fanatic, an anarchist, you know that? If we can't have a whole show, then I want half a show rather than no show. But oh no, not you. You won't be satisfied unless you're putting the company at risk. What are you? Are you a businessman or are you a newsman? Because that happens to be what Mike and I and some other people around here do for a living. Lowell. Put the corporation at risk. Give me a fucking break. Lowell. These people are putting our whole reason for doing what we do on the line. Lowell. What? I'm with Don on this. Uh, I would say the only the only particular hang-up I have with the movie maybe is the final shot. That, that might be it. That's, I think that's the only what is, thing. Okay, you're going to have to remind me because I watched this four months ago. What is the final shot? <laughs> so it's... Uh, you know, spoilers. Uh, that's what Ben usually does here for the insider. But it's it's the scene where uh, you have between Christopher Plummer as Mike Wallace and Al Pacino as the, his producer, uh, Lowell Bergman. Uh, you know, after uh, they've betrayed uh, the source, played by Russell Crowe, uh, they've not aired him. They you know his kids, his family don't get to see his interview. They've they've had to like sort of black out his his face, change his voice, and they've really taken out as one of the, the lines uh, in the film. They've taken out the guts of what this man was trying to do mm-hmm. from the piece. Uh, you have uh, this version of Mike Wallace, you know, apologizing and saying, hey, you know, eventually they come around. Eventually they did uh, make good. And they they went back and and course corrected and didn't cow to the uh, the nicotine industry. But Al Pacino, uh, in a very movie star line, is like, you know, what's what was broken here can't be fixed. And then he walks out to this kind of slight, I guess, techno-y music that we have here, mm-hmm. like very late '90s, like sort of Moby <laughs> sort of sound. Uh, and it's like slow mo as he like goes out this revolving door and like puts on his jacket as he gets in the street and. It's the one note that feels false. Like if you remove the music and the slow mo, I, I like him just saying what what was broken here can't be put back together. Uh, that bond and that trust that they have, and 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 the whole profession uh, that they're involved with, uh, this pact they've made together. So I, I really I dislike the music. And I dislike the slow mo, and that's that maybe is the only mess, misstep in the film for me. It was probably meant to go on uh, a little bit longer, and, and that's the thing is that in comparison to other Michael Mann movies, this feels despite its runtime feels very tight. Like you said, every scene feels purposeful. Every scene feels like 
it's contributing something to what's about to happen next. And here's where I get really frustrated with Michael Mann is that the, there's this great scene where, where Mike Wallace confronts a, a producer. Where's the rest? Where the hell's the rest? You cut the guts out of what I said. It was the time consideration, time? Mike. bullshit! You corporate lackey. Who told you your incompetent little fingers had the requisite skills to edit me? I'm trying to band-aid a situation here, and you're Mike. too dim to... Mike. Mike? Mike! Try Mr. Wallace. We work in the same corporation doesn't mean we work in the same profession. What, what are you going to do now? You're going to finesse me, lawyer me some more? I've been in this profession in 50 fucking years. You and the people you work for are destroying the most respected, the highest rated, the most profitable show on this network. It's a, it's a spectacular, wonderful moment, and it shows that Michael Mann knows how to do great character drama and how compelling that can be. And the greatest scene in Heat is just this back and forth between Pacino and and De Niro and w- how is it that he's aware of that then and then in his other movies he's completely oblivious to it and and, and we just get long uh montages of of nothing um you know happening in in Miami Vice in particular and um uh, so, so, so I saw, I saw many, many years ago, I saw a, a test screening of Miami Vice and like, I've just wiped it completely from my memory. Uh, I just remember it being an absolute torture, uh, torturous experience to, to, to watch and, and to try and invest in what was happening because you, you couldn't, you couldn't understand what, what the hell was going on at all. And Tom Farrell, I remember being <laughs> pretty entertaining, playing a very greasy <laughs> Kind of sweaty, like uh, coked out detective. Uh, uh, I enjoyed him, like him that that particular bit of casting. But um, as to the the film itself, I I don't have much of my memories. But I do remember it feeling very long, and it is over two hours, two hours and twelve minutes. Remind me, Vice. Well, okay, so yeah, I know it sounds like I'm going off on a tangent, uh, talking about how much I dislike Michael Mann, um, <laughs> despite he's made a lot of really great movies. Okay, so okay, trying to get back. Okay, so trying to get back to the insider. Uh, one of the interesting things about this movie, uh, you know, despite it being a Best Picture nominee and everything, it was actually a box office bomb when it was initially uh, upon initial release. And you know, unlike today, you know, they the, like they most likely would have brought this movie back into theaters to try and get it to, you know, try and milk out a little bit more money once, you know, nominations came in and everything. Uh, but this movie basically, you know, just wasn't able to, to get much, uh, traction with audiences at all. And, and in 1999, that mattered, uh, there, uh, this is the only, uh, box office bomb, uh, of the, of the five nominees. And if you look at best picture nominees from like the nineties and everything, they were pretty much all commercial hits in one way or another. There were, I mean, there were some low budget films that, you know, made money for, uh, you know, for what they were and everything. Uh, this is one of the few big box office duds to, to get a best picture nomination. Uh, and it is interesting from a commercial side of, of what was going on in, in, in regards to, uh, to, uh, movies in, in 1999. They definitely had a wealth you know, of financial successes, uh, to, to choose from. Uh, but for, for whatever reason, this, you know, 
uh, uh, stayed, stay, you know, stayed in the top. Well, I mean, it's like a war movie in that regard, right? Like you would see post 9-11. I, I just got the impression that when it came out, people were like, oh, cigarettes, uh, cancer, bad. Uh, even if you're a smoker, you're like, well, I don't, I don't like what <laughs> I don't like what that company was doing to that man. So that movie is probably just going to make me feel bad about myself. Uh, I think it's kind of a hard it's a hard sell as far as like a whistleblower movie. You know, this is not it's not you know Warren Beatty or something like a like a seventies conspiracy thriller where you know, where he's got a chase sequence or uh, Robert Redford in like Three Days of the Condor or something like that. Like it is Russell Crowe not looking like Russell Crowe when he was at his peak as far as like a sex symbol mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> dressed up as sort of a sad uh, you know soft spoken. Uh, old man who is being, you know, he's been put in a vice. His his whole personal life, his professional life, he's, we're going to strip him of everything slowly. And uh, there are some, you know, there are some, I guess, trailer moments here as far as him, uh, you know, finally uh, breaking bad uh, and, and lashing out. Uh, but the film itself doesn't seem that interested in him all of a sudden becoming a badass. It seems... I think correctly interested in this man's like, you know, attempt to do the right thing and attempt to be, uh, you know, sort of quietly dignified in it. And the world's not interested in that. We want someone to, to make a scene and we want them to become uh, a character uh, that we can debate as far as almost on this sort of like trashy, like tabloidy level. And I remember there being some criticism about them, including the inclusion of the, um, the bullet in the mailbox, which I guess was, uh, considered like debatable as far as if that actually happened. Uh, and I feel like the film, that's probably the one moment where the film kind of veers into that particular territory. And, uh, if there was more of that stuff, maybe it would have been, uh, you know, uh, more of a, a box office catch at the time, but it's, it's really, it's really about, you know, like two guys meeting in a hotel room and exchanging information and that information not getting out in the sexiest of ways. Yeah. You, you made me think about uh, a civil action w- which you and I discussed uh, a long time ago in, in regards to that's a movie about, you know, what it actually takes to, to get, you know, justice, you know, done, you know, for, for the quote unquote little guy or whatever, or uh, against all odds and everything. And it is a lot like so. So a movie, a movie that I like, which which I know you hated, uh, Concussion, um, mm. is sort of a very mainstream, you know, version of that of that kind of story, uh, where where you know that that's sort of the the typical kind of way that we're used to seeing that story get 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 told. And so at the end of if the insider was was like that at the end of uh of it jeffrey wiegand would you know there would be a he would get win an award and people would applaud him uh and everything and you, there would be something like that that would happen um you know not here uh you know it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty sort of uh empty and cold uh satisfaction that that they get from doing the right thing uh which comes with him you know, losing, you know, losing his family as well, uh, you know, from on a personal level. Um, and so, you know, this, yeah, it's, there's, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's why, you know, the movie still holds up pretty well, you know, after all these years. And I love Crow in this role. And I, uh, part of me, you know, is really uh, sad that uh, he, that he became such a huge movie star. 
uh, after this point with Gladiator that, uh, you know, we, that we, you know, rarely get to see him, uh, you know, play a role like this, you know, ever again. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, same with like Al Pacino, right. As far as like, uh, I, I'm always, I guess it's just like the nature of just like being around, uh, for decades as far as like you get boxed in by your previous successes here. And there's a little bit of that with Pacino's portrayal of this character. You know, he gets a couple uh, Pacino moments where he's screaming at someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, it fits totally within the context of the film. If if you're watching it and you've spent two and a half hours with this character, you've seen enough of him in uh, a fairly normal setting without having to operate at 11 uh, that I I don't think it pulls you out of the film. But... um, it's it is it's an it's an odd one as far as Russell Crowe goes. I think because he has aged up here, uh, and it was it was him like stepping out of that. Uh, you know, th- this is right before Gladiator, so maybe it's like the last gasp of it. But this is de- definitely falls into like the L.A. Confidential territory of almost character actor work from uh, from Russell Crowe. Yeah, and after that, you know. <laughs> Just, just nothing. Uh, but I, I like him in a beautiful mind as well. Uh, I, but I, I do. I mean, you know, I, like after that point, he basically it was never really quite the same. You know, he like you, he, you never really rooted for him on screen in the mm. same way. You know, after that, after that point, and I don't know if if maybe part of that is celebrity. Uh, yeah, you know, I like, so. like uh, uh, you, you know, bad choices uh, feeding into how you see someone. I guess. And I think we'll get a little bit of that when we when we when we reach uh, Sleepy Hollow, um, in a few weeks. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm glad we're slow in recording those because <laughs> I feel like when it comes to Sleepy Hollow and Johnny Depp, the the uh, the film Twitter and the the outraged uh, you know participants of that particular community have had to <laughs> wrestle with their previous uh, hate tweets of Johnny Depp, which has been. Uh, I guess mildly amusing considering that none of us are involved in the personal lives of these people. So I tend to just like want to look at them as uh, in the old fashioned sense as mm-hmm. just, you know, what have they done for me lately on the screen uh, is the extent of it. And especially with this type of project, we are going back, you know, 20 years to, to look at their work. Um, it, but it seems like, you know, this is, uh, I don't know if, is this one such a slam dunk that we're sort of like talking in a <laughs> we're way sure talking like, about it as a failure, like, like Deniston, you know, failed at the like, box office when uh, we, Michael Mann, you hate the <laughs> thing Crow, is what's he done for us lately. The thing is with this movie in 1999, this is the point where I just throw up my hands and say, okay, the, you know, this year has too many great, you know, mm. fucking movies. Um, you know, I can't like, yeah, any other year, this would be, uh, within my top five, if not my number one film of that year. And it's like, it's just, you know, there's like, there are, there are like 40 or 50 movies from 1999 that are, you know, as not as good as this, but are, but are, you know, approaching viable that same level viable. Candidates. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, we'll you know we'll have that in our in our wrap up, uh, I guess, and see. But I you know I was only I guess uh, mildly concerned about this one, like I was when we we talked about Three Kings coming into it, where I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. You know, if, as a teenager, I had done my top ten. It would have it would have been on that list. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh my god, like, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm ready to move on, move on to the next thing. 
uh, this one, uh, I did not have that, uh, you know, turnabout, which was great. Uh, and I found myself really falling for it. Uh, again, I, I think it probably proves proves your very negative point, though, that you <laughs> opened the show with. That it didn't cause me to go and check out you know, a bunch of Michael Mann films. Uh, it just I just have, sort of kept this one. As have is. you seen Have you seen Manhunter? Out of curiosity, yeah, we, we've we've talked about this. Uh, we have? I think off mic. Oh, okay, uh, I, I believe so because uh, I know you're uh, you at least you know off the record uh, are a big fan of the auteur uh, Brett Ratner's version of on, that particular on the story. record. On the record, I'm going on the record. Okay, <laughs> um, you know, Red Dragon is a much better uh, adaptation of of that story, and uh, Manhunter. I just think people. People want to like it so badly because it's the artsier, uh, y- you know, a, a version of that of that of you know that story and everything. But it's not as good. It doesn't make very much sense. It, it's it not as entertaining. It much does better. not work. Much more entertaining. <laughs> uh, it is uh, not only the better version of uh, Red Dragon. It is the better version of Miami Vice. What he was attempting to go for there, as far as that sort of pulpy, sexy trash. Uh, now I've not watched it in a long time. I've also not re- watched Red Dragon. I, Red I haven't Dragon, watched it either in a long time, but I did watch Red Dragon recently, and it holds up pretty well. And I think if people could get over this, you know, oh, Brett Ratner is the director of this movie, <laughs> therefore it is bad. Uh, you know, if they could, if they could just see that Brett Ratner was basically responsible for ten percent of the choices in that movie, um, you know, they could see how how much better Red Dragon is than than Manhunter. Manhunter is a failure of adaptation. I think because you just you just don't understand why the characters are doing what they're doing. <laughs> I will not go that far because I've not uh, watched uh, Manhunter or Red Dragon. I will admit that I liked Red Dragon when it came out theatrically, and well, I think I watched it once more on a video. Um, <laughs> as far as Brett Ratner himself, oh my god, he's one of those like people that's gone to TV or something. Because I try to pull up his IMDb and he's got 58 <laughs> credits, but. Uh, I'm not interested in that. Oh, uh, Tower Heist. What do you think of it? Never saw it. I'm just I the, it. I okay. Like you liked it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should check it out. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he made. Uh, well, yeah. The first Rush Hour is an enjoyable, entertaining movie. Um, you know, I just you know, like people people t- tend to have chips on their shoulder about about this, and that, and that's sort of that's why that's you know bringing it full circle. I I just feel like if people weren't if Michael Mann's fan base wasn't so forgiving of him being, you know, such a bad filmmaker uh, <laughs> in the last like in the last 15 years or so, then we would get another heat. But because they all just keep telling him that he's wonderful and everything he does is fantastic, you know, and everything he does is as good as the insider, which isn't true. Um, you know, we get Black Hat and Public Enemies and Miami Vice. Well, I, I mean, is, are we wrapping up? Because I, you know, I feel like now's the time that I can, I can give you clues uh, of what you don't need. We kind of spoiled uh, and, it. We spoiled it on the last uh, episode there. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're they're paying attention to our continuity. But uh, yeah, the the uh, auteur behind. Oh, uh, and what an auteur! What an auteur! <laughs> behind uh, the the young adult adaptation of The Giver. Uh, is next up. Uh, I'm trying to find something else that would sound smart-ass, but his uh, most recent film was called Above Suspicion from 2019, which I have not seen. So Neither I can't I. really comment on that. Oh. Um, uh, what else has he got? What else has he done? This this guy that will be the director of our next one. He did Salt with the star of our next film. That I should feel, give it away, right? I feel right? like I saw that, but I don't remember it very well. 
Uh, well, it, it's the Bone Collector. I have the Wikipedia yes. page right up in front of me right now. And there you go. Uh, the there you go. This is <laughs> this is the one. Uh, dear I look listeners. forward to this one. I, I look forward I, to this I, conversation. I look forward. I, I I will pretend to look forward to it right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. I think that's a good sell job for the next episode. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99.